Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Zach Shaw. Steve Lorenz is on the phone lines with me. And we just had a basketball podcast about Franz Wagner and kind of what the team looks like. Obviously, it's very early, so it's not. So some parts are more in-depth than others, but the huge commitment that they got from Franz, who I have... I've said that it was the biggest recruiting win since 2011. If you missed that podcast, go check it out on our podcast page. This one's going to be football and kind of rounding things up. You know, we, we asked for some questions. I don't know if everyone's totally in the football mood just yet. I think once Big Ten media days come, maybe that will be a bit more of, of the centerpiece or something people are thinking about constantly. And obviously we'll have our most important player previews and and some of the position-by-position outlooks, things like that, coming uh, in in the days and weeks ahead. But this one, kind of a a roundup. And so we'll start with our first question. And this one, this one comes from Troy Vugtavine. Sorry if I messed that up, Troy. He says, who do you think isn't getting enough, quote-unquote, hype or attention on Michigan offensively and defensively? So I think we can actually, we're not going to go position by position, but I think there's a few both on offense and defense. Obviously, there are some players who have a boatload of hype. Shea Patterson, Donovan Peoples-Jones. I think all three of the the big-name receivers you know, Kalik Hudson. But really, I, I think it's it's almost like it depends on the day because sometimes some players will get a lot of hype, but then they'll forget about other players. So, Steve, I, I don't know about you. Does anyone stand out immediately as, as like, if, if you're creating an all-underrated team, who's your captain based on the gap between what you think they will do and maybe what is being discussed? Uh, how much... How much has Christian Turner been talked about at running back? Not that much. Not that much. I think he's. Just, I think he'd be a good pick there. Uh, I think they really like what they have in him. I knew he was very mildly banged up during the spring, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that there are some legitimate expectations there with him. I know Charbonnet's gotten a lot of hype, and, and rightfully so. I mean, we've maybe been the driver uh, of a lot of that at twenty four seven, but. Uh, you know, Turner's a guy that they've had a lot of expectations for. I think they liked what he did in the bowl game last year uh, for returning starters in the offensive line. You know, I think the opportunity is there for a running back to excel or running backs. Um, so he'd kind of be, he'd probably be me, my first pick. Uh, the other one too is Ronnie Bell at receiver. Okay. You know, I, I think he's a guy that showed a lot of flash last year. And with all the, the attention that's going to be paid to the other three guys that I believe you already mentioned, you know, I think he's another guy that may sneakily get some really good opportunities and will capitalize on them. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, he looked like he belonged last year when he was out there. Yeah, he just looked like a freshman who was going to be a starter down the road. Exactly. Yeah. And so... You know, given again that you have three really, really good receivers at the top of your depth chart. I mean, to me, I know Sainer still had a great spring and is is definitely going to play. But I mean, you'd probably say now with Martin gone that Bell's got to be that fourth guy at least to start out. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that there's a real opportunity for him. Uh, besides that, I mean, it's kind of hard with the offensive line because. Well, I've got one guy, because you're right. There are four returning starters. You kind of know what you have. These names, I mean, they're kind of household names, which is not something that's always said about offensive linemen. Obviously, for you and I, who cover this stuff full-time, there'll be household names, of course. But one guy who I think, because Ben Bredesen, we named him the top player on the team. You know, uh, Cesar Ruiz has gotten hype. And and again, as as you point out, kind of deservedly so basically since he was a senior in high school. John Runyon Jr. got was named first-team All-Big Ten. I don't think anyone's sleeping on him. But I saw this stat. I think Ed Warner tweeted it out. Michael Nwenu allowed a 1.0% pressure rate last year. That means he allowed a quarterback pressure 
Only one every 100 snaps. Because, which is just incredible, and that that speaks to how much he has grown in the Warner regime. Because he was not a pass protection lineman initially, like his freshman and sophomore year. He was more of a run blocking, bowling ball. You know, if, if he's if he's asked to go low, pat, you know, he can. And so 1.0 pressure rate, I think, I'm I certainly feel like I'm underestimating him or I'm not giving him enough hype. And maybe that changes now that I've seen that stat. Uh, by the way, that's third among all FBS interior linemen in 100, 130 teams. Third. So it's, I th- I mean, you know, you you have always talked about how high his ceiling is. So maybe... Right, right and that's what I was going to get into is, like, I think they believe that there's definitely more there still. yeah. And that's so, why he's that is a good pick because it, it, of of anybody up front he he almost has to be that pick in the in the context of this conversation mm-hmm. because they believe that there's more there right um you know i i think he is he's just he remains one of the most unique physical specimens i think that we'll ever come across at michigan or in hmm. college football really you know for a guy of He's large, but a lot of times doesn't look as large as what you when you see his measurements. You know, like a guy typically of that size is very, just say, heavy looking. You know, like he's somebody who looks like a guy that size looks like he's in like solid shape. I think he's going to be a pro. Uh, I think mm-hmm. he could be a good pro, right? Um, and so, yeah, I think up front. I think he'd kind of have to be that pick because yeah, I mean, Ru- the, you know, I think Ruiz is another, not going to be underrated, but Ruiz is another guy I think they believe can take another mm-hmm. still a step to be made there. Right. And so, um, so but the other guys, like the guys behind them though, that's, that's a little bit, that's where it's like, gets kind of hard. Cause I, I'm sure there are names in there, right? Like a, maybe a guy like Honigford or, you know, that's is like Mayfield, I guess, but he, really, he could very well, yeah, he could very well win that right tackle job. So, um, well, an offensive know. lineman, I think you could probably make a case every offensive lineman is underrated, right? Like sure. even like Ben Bredesen, like is unless everyone's naming him top player on the team, like you and I are, technically, could you make the argument people are sleeping on him or people are sleeping on John Runyon? It's it's very easy to put a chip on your shoulders, an offensive lineman, I think, because, you know, it's just a little bit more of an anonymous position, and people see when you mess up. They don't necessarily see when you do it right. Like, I'm trying to think the last offensive lineman in, like, the pros or something that, like, you know, people said, no, he's not underrated. He's adequately rated. <laughs> like It's true. Yeah, because, like, there's just that natural idea to – you know, what do they say? The offensive linemen are the guys that do all the work but get none of the credit, mm-hmm. right? And I think there's that. I do. I agree that that idea kind of carries over a little bit. I think the easiest – here's a tip for people listening who want to sound like football experts in front of their friends. If you want to sound like a Michigan football expert, read up on the offensive linemen and you go to like a barbecue or a party or whatever and you start talking about, you know, how Michael and Wainu – has improved his footwork and has a low pressure rate, you're going to sound like an expert. You know, even if, even if you know nothing else about the team, if you can just talk about the O-line, you're going to get, you're going to get a lot of football guy points, uh, you know, talking at those, at those parties. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, the, and you see like running backs, you know, you always got to thank the offensive linemen. They never get enough credit. That's what they always say. So, and it's probably true. I don't mean to dis- discredit it. I'm just saying, <laughs> I think every, Every O lineman could probably make that list. I, I like the Ronnie Bell pick. Um, I mean, I think when you have players transferring out both both of right. the past summers, that means that that some of these young receivers are very good. Right. And and you're right. You know, I think people kind of saw. Oh, you know, he did the end around a couple times. He did the. He did more than that though. Yeah, he did. And it was a big actually quietly that play uh, he made against Maryland ended up. Again, they kind of ran away with that game in the second half, but I mean that right. was a pretty decent, big. That was a big play in the in that situation going mm-hmm. into half. So 
I think one thing with this list, I don't think I want to count incoming freshmen. That's that. Yeah, yeah. And I think Christian Turner is a good – I forgot to respond to that one. His scouting report, if you run it side-by-side next to Karan Higdon's out of high school, very similar types of players. That's what they – and that's what the that's pretty much how they view him too, from my knowledge, is mm, that he's okay. a very similar player to Higdon. They think maybe a little bit of a higher ceiling than Higdon had, but you know that's you know you never know if the ceiling is going to get reached or not. And it's worth noting, I mean, Kron Higdon did not play a ton as a freshman. You know, it was not a instant thing. And uh, Turner was someone. What was it? Michigan versus Notre Dame. That recruiting battle. Played at a very competitive high school in Georgia, where I think they had two or three other Division One Power Five running back commits on their team. So it's lots, lots of intriguing elements there. Don't know what he'll bring as a sophomore, but I, th- I think the Peach Bowl was was a little bit of a preview, and I would think he would only get better from there because that was maybe. You know, he didn't. He didn't. He only had a few bowl practices. He didn't have all off season to to master everything. So, yeah, those are probably the three I'd go with on offense. I'm I'm trying to think if there's, you know, I think Sean McCune and Nick Eubanks. It's I think tight ends are a similar position as, as offensive linemen, where they're they're almost always underrated. Um, McCune took to kind of a beating from the fans last year. So maybe he's on that list because he led the team in receiving as a sophomore. And I think he's, I don't know if he can do everything Zach Gentry can do, but he's really fast and he's big and he can make catches and was, was rated by pro football focus as a really strong blocker. It's an area he got a lot better. Mm-hmm. By the end of last year. Yeah, he's a guy that I think has been sort of one of the recipients of a little bit of unfair criticism. I mean, he had a couple drops, I think, last year in some situations. But, I mean, the, the staff is really, really likes him a lot. The effort, the progression. You know, he's got a good uh, rapport with, with Patterson as well. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, he's another one that actually had crossed my mind, but he's also been kind of he's also sort of an established guy. Yeah, so yeah. Sure how far you know how you know we want to get into it as far as that goes. So, all right, so that's that's probably who we would pick on offense, defense. It kind of depends on how you look at it because I think almost every everyone but Lavert Hill probably has a case, has a claim to the underrated crown. Because even Josh Metellus, I mean, he might be a captain this year. In fact, I think he might be. I might be. If I were putting money down, I might say he would be a captain. Yet, I don't think people necessarily revere him as a third-year starting potential All Big Ten safety and and team captain. Like, like people don't look at him like that. And Kalik Hudson, I'm he's probably getting enough hype. I don't think he actually counts on this list. But well, he's getting the whole. He struggled last year, so there's no way he'll repeat last year's performance kind of hype. 2017's performance? No, he had a good 2017. I think think he struggled last year, so I think there's just an assumption, and I think I would probably be in that camp that believes that he'll have a big bounce back year. So I agree that not a guy that's getting slept on necessarily Mm -hmm. for that reason. Okay, that makes sense. And then... Donovan Jeter is probably someone who is getting a lot of hype and has, we don't know what it looks like in games. It seems to be warranted hype. I haven't seen it with my own eyes. That's the only thing there. Where do you put, is Aiden Hutchinson getting enough hype? Because I feel like the... As for me, yeah. I've, him as like their, I've, I've continually picked him as their breakout guy on defense. So. Right, right. I don't know nationally though. I don't know. I mean... Or even Maybe with not. other Mich- other people, you know, Michigan fans or other other reporters, because I feel like the the reading between the lines and some of the things I've heard, and also the fact that he's been featured in some of these promo things alongside Khalil Hudson and Shea Patterson and 
um, Ben Bredesen. You know, then Aiden Hutchinson has been the fourth in some of these. I think he might be end up being a top five player on the team this year, which is in which case he's not getting enough hype because nobody is addressing him in that way. So yeah, I'm curious because because you've been talking about him for months and our, our podcast has and and others have too. I'm curious, but but anyway, back to the actual question: Who really isn't getting enough hype? Um, uh, see, hype is just—it's always so difficult because a lot of these guys haven't really done enough on the field to garner any hype. Mm-hmm. It's more right. And that's the thing. Here's the other thing too. You know, I had this on the board last week about you, know, you get the whole typical hype up people in the off season and they don't live up to it. They're like, and then they use Dwumfor as an example, who got a lot of hype last spring, who actually played really, really well. Like yeah, he just had a on. bad first game. Yeah, he he did. He came out and struggled a bit against Notre Dame, but was awesome against Michigan State was effective throughout most of the conference season up until the time he got hurt. You know, and it's like, and that's the thing is like, it's like people just chill out. Like when, when, when a coach or a, or a us hype, like is when it's hype, it doesn't mean the guy's going to come out and be like an all American or all first team, all conference. It means that they think the guy is ready to contribute in most instances. If we hear, more than that, then we usually imply that. But like last year, like you know, it's like going for you know, it's like I thought everything that was said about him heading into last year, I thought he lived up to what was said. Nobody's nobody's sitting here talking about he was going to replace Mo Hurst or that Michigan was going to replace that production because of him. Would you say no. his game was was? Do, would you say he was a monster though? So I I do think you're right that who said did we say monster? No, we never did. But oh, I think no, we're, not, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, yeah, people take like people take like a positive note about a guy, right? Like we wrote, I wrote some good things in the spring about. Uh, I'm trying to think of who it was that I wrote. Somebody There's one thing about Dwum for that I think is relevant, and maybe this is a a teachable moment for some of the fans who are constantly let down after off-season hype. The players are excited about their teammates. These are their best friends. Have you ever, have you not ever said like your best friend is the best at this or, or someone in your family is the, you know, cooks the best uh, mac and cheese or something, you know, like, like, yeah, you're going to live in a world of, or these are the best friends I could ever have. Uh, that phrase always, right. it's, that's like a pet peeve to me. Cause like the odds that your friends are the best friends you could ever have pretty you're, slim. You're that, tech, you're that technical, <laughs> you're that technical but, about but it. you know, so, so what, what the reason I asked about monster is you did have players, Kalik Hudson or Sean Gary, you know, they would go out there and say, he's a monster. He's tearing it up. He's, he's impossible to block things like that. Yeah, for the fans out there who live in that world, understand he probably isn't literally impossible to block. He's having a good spring, and everyone's excited. It's just a phrase. Yeah. That'd be a phrase that a coach <laughs> would use to say that the guy's been really, really good, not he's going to have seven sacks against Michigan State because he's impossible to block. You know, it's like that's not how it works. Yeah, you know, it's like Nico Collins. Same deal last year was the one of the guys in fall that got a lot of, a lot of hype, a lot of praise, and for a guy who hadn't produce, hadn't done anything, heading into last year, like, what, you know, like, what, you tell me he didn't like live up to, you know, so it's like when the, this this, and I don't, the word hype I think is maybe what really gets it because mm-hmm. I don't know people must read hype and think, or if like we. You know, we hype up Dwumfor, but then Michigan loses to Ohio State. Well, that must mean that Dwumfor just didn't live up to the hype <laughs> because the team lost the game. That means that you guys need to stop pushing hype about individual players who are getting better. You know, like well, Josh Uche is another example. He didn't have a good Notre Dame game, and people are like, "Oh, classic yep. off-season hype." 
yada yada another guy who was labeled a monster yeah right by and large like most of the guys that we hear a lot about in the offseason are guys that have turned out to have like a pretty decent season that that year you know and it's like so saying we're still will kind of be the next test Mm -hmm. in that regard yeah right if he gets that chris evans kind of treatment which again chris evans came out and contributed as a true freshman and he didn't even have the benefit of enrolling uh, early. You know, remember he was a guy that showed up in the summer and then all of a sudden just was like blowing everybody away and contributed immediately. There is no possible way Sainer still isn't at least somewhat as advertised, right? Like right. you have to think there's no way they would pump up a true freshman too like many, that. Too, and again, and and that's the other thing too is like there. I, I don't think that the staff during availabilities or the players or they're not like going out of their way to like promote some guy they're going off of what they've seen in drills what they've seen in practice what they've seen you know and like a lot of the especially the coaches have been around the block a thousand times with this stuff is like they know a guy when they see one right and so yeah i mean it's but again that doesn't mean he's going to come out and have (laughs) (laughs) yeah like and like you know dominate like that's just not what it is all translates to so, anyway, know, back back on track. You know, one player on defense who I think of, who I don't think is getting enough hype, is Brad Hawkins. So I think I, it's tricky because I don't know what his role is going to be. I assume he's going to be the nickel guy. I assume, you know, he'll be in the running with, with Daxton Hill for that other starting safety spot. He might lose that battle. But I think he's one guy, you know, when I saw him play last year, I felt like I felt like there was a lot to like there. And I'm not totally sure if if you get to if you get to say, "Oh, it's only his third year playing safety full-time" cuz most high school football players play multiple positions, or at least ones that end up playing Division 1 football. So I'm not totally sure how much that's a factor, but you know, and when when you talk to him, you can just tell he's he's motivated and not in the manufactured way. Like he just genuinely likes working hard, and so he'd be one guy. Uh, I think this podcast has pumped up Vincent Gray enough that he no longer qualifies. He's adequately hyped for a player who is scarcely played or or has yet has yet to start. Sure. Um, anyone else on defense that that you think? Given the 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 state of all the hype out there, maybe maybe deserves a little bit more sent his way. I know you're uh, a Carlo Kemp guy. Yeah, so I like Carlo Kemp. I I would not be surprised if he was one of the team captains this year. I think mm-hmm. I said when he signed in 2016 yeah. <laughs> that he would eventually be a team captain. Uh, I have a I think there's a decent chance that that happens this year. So, um, good job, me. But I would I know one guy that had a really good finish. No, I'm gonna give myself credit any time on something like that. Uh you know, people only remember the ones you get wrong. So I have to you know, sometimes you gotta make sure that you make them remember the ones that you got right. Uh so got getting back to it though, Jamon Green is a guy I think that had a really good finish this spring. Oh, okay. Now different in that he hasn't really played any significant like a legit snap necessarily. Uh, but as a guy, I think is going to have a say in the defensive backfield this year. So he's one that like there really hasn't been any hype or unhype about him to begin with. So I, I don't know if he even really qualifies per se. The other one though hasn't been mentioned this entire pod. Ben Mason. <laughs> God, dude, no, how, how do we not talk about Ben Mason though? Like in a podcast about guys who aren't getting enough. Like I just think his his just not just the way like the way he plays I just think he's a very vital part to like the identity that this team the, of the, of the program and what Harbaugh wants to do and again he's a guy that we heard some good things about in the spring uh on the defensive line now again doesn't mean that Ben Mason is going to walk in and like you know dominate the game but I think they feel like they have somebody who in like certain scenarios can be effective. And so again, I mean, it's just, it is going to depend on how they use him or how many snaps are they going to give him on both sides mm-hmm. of the ball? I, it just feels like with the Gaddis scheme, 
that you may see him more on the defensive side of the ball this year than you will on the offense. I don't know. I could be totally wrong on that. No, I think um, you're right. And so a little bit of context, and I know you covered him as a recruit, so you can weigh in on this too. He told us this spring he likes defense better. He likes playing on the defensive side of the ball. He always saw himself as a future defensive player until Harbaugh came along and said, you look like a fullback. And and for those who have not read all the stories about Harbaugh, sometimes he'll do that with players. He'll say, you look like a fullback. And they'll say, but coach, I'm, you know, I'm an inside linebacker. And they'll say, no, you look like a fullback. And so, you know, if you're a, if you're trying to get on the field, well, guess what position you're going to play fullback. So it's, He's got a lot of, um, and a lot of the quotes about him are remind me of Chase Winovich, another player who played a little bit on the offensive side of the ball under Harbaugh, kind of was shuffled around before moving to the defensive side of the ball. And so if it really is, if it feels more natural to him, I think there's reason to believe. Now he's, what, 6'3", 270 pounds. I'm not sure what position he winds up at with that with that frame. But if he really does have that Chase Winovich work ethic that Jim Harbaugh adores, and all signs of Jim Harbaugh ever referring to Ben Mason suggest that he does have that kind of tenacity, well, there's probably a spot on the field for him somewhere. You know, even if he is a little out of position size-wise. I I agree. That's and that's so we've talked ourselves into saying that he's probably a little slept on as far as what you yeah. can do this year for them, right? So, um, besides that, though, I don't know, I guess you could maybe throw Josh Ross in there. Uh, he is slept on. Because he, yeah. he had a really, you know, he was one of the only, I, know he, I think he missed a couple assignments, uh, but I thought he was pretty darn effective in the bowl game. Didn't he have like 11 or 12 tackles? He had 11 tackles. Yep. So like a forced fumble or something, I don't remember. Um, game didn't really matter. Uh, so, you know, but I think he's a guy again, battling Jordan Anthony there in the middle, that'll be an interesting one, but I'd probably give the edge to Ross heading into fall camp. I mean, he's got the experience factor and, you know, again, played well with that experience. Didn't just get snaps. Like was a guy that looked like he belonged out there. So, you know, with losing Bush, I think we've all, and I've made this comment a couple times that. I think Hudson's reemergence will be the biggest thing that helps maybe soften the blow of losing a guy like Devin Bush. But then I mean, you obviously also want and need a guy like Ross to step up. You're not going to replace Devin Bush. You know, it's just common sense. No, he's a once no. in a, he's a once every 10 years kind of got kind of guy to come through, you know, at a position like linebacker, mm-hmm. you know, but he can, he can still, that doesn't mean that the next guy up isn't going to be good. You know, it's just uh, so Ross, I think, is a guy in best position there and a guy that I don't think yeah, has gotten talked about enough, probably. I think my one thing with Ross is that I am not like if, if I were predicting starters for the fall. Linebacker might be one of the tougher ones for me. I don't know that he is he and Devin Gill. They missed a lot of the spring, so it's a little unfair to, to say, but I'm not certain. Like, he's definitely slept on and probably underrated no matter what. But maybe the guys behind him are more underrated? I, I don't know. So it's uh, that's an interesting discussion. Right. Yeah. Well, and McGrone, you know, and, and Barrett appear to be, I don't know, the, how they how they kind of shuffle these guys around. Because, again, I know that, that Barrett, we wrote about Barrett, had a great, great, great spring. And they think he's the Ryan Hayes of the defense as far as a guy who probably won't make an impact this year. But if he continues his progression, they think he's going to be a really, really, really good player for them. Mm, okay. To the point to the point that, you know, that they, they are, they feel comfortable in the fact that they did play, that they did move him over to defense. Right. Cause like I was one who thought for sure he was a guy that'd be a great player on offense. Mm-hmm. Would probably fit this scheme too, you know. And and but they moved him to defense, and it's kind of like, okay, well, we didn't see like any film of him on defense while he was there, right? 
while he was in high school. You know, he played quarterback, did a bunch of offensive stuff. So it is a, more of a fear of the unknown, but that he's lived up to it. So, um, so yeah. Okay, so those are our hyped, unhyped players. You ready for this? Yeah. If is the most original and heartfelt movie in years. Magic like this comes around once in a lifetime. This Friday, experience it with your whole family. Can we do it again? If ready PG. Uh, I think the person who asked it might have deleted it, but we got another question I thought was interesting. M- a little bit less. We're not necessarily experts here. We haven't studied all of the recruiting rules. Like that's not that's not what we write about. But they asked, "What would you like to change, either rule wise or process wise, about recruiting? So either something a rule that's dumb or rules that are dumb, or just something that's not really a rule thing, but just." general practice i can start and then steve can weigh in i think the one thing for me that seems really goofy is um and and lesson i'm not, uh, this isn't that serious i don't think it's that big of a, it's not hurting anybody but the the weird like contact like all these minor violations about like well, like Jawan howard when people were like was that an ncaa violation like you know i get you can't talk i i think talking about unsigned recruits is is a fine rule but I've talked to former coaches who have said that they were only allowed to contact a recruit technically if they're following the rules seven times a year. And it's like, of course you're going to contact them more than seven times a year. And I think they've changed those rules since then, but it's still like these not non-contact periods, you know, you're basically asking for coaches to be comfortable breaking the rules with how tight some of these things are and, and sometimes it's it's silly stuff, like when Josh Gaddis is tweeting about how much he, he loves vacationing to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, or Honolulu, Hawaii, or or some or Windsor, Ontario. Like obviously, you know, he's like being su- doing subtweet, subtle jabs at recruits, uh, or not jabs, subtle nods to recruits. It 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 gets a little silly, or like how they all say since I don't think they're. I think there's some rule about like what you can tweet, and so they all use the area code. They're like, we got a gem from the six one four, right, and right. stuff like that. And it's, you know, that really bugs you. It, it does. I get why. Like, I don't, I don't have the suggested alternative. I get why because the recruits they they shouldn't have to field calls from thirty schools, twenty, you know, fifty weeks sure. of the year. Um, sure. You know, I get why they have these limits. But I just feel like, you know, recruiting has become such a big thing. I think there's there's got to be some way you can do it without it being so bananas. Or you hear about, you know, recruits who, well, you suddenly... Do kids need more of a break? Is that what you're... Um, I think the coaches need more of a break, too. I don't think it's just... The, I think that goes both ways. Yeah. Yeah, like... You're, you, having, you're having got... You're having assistants in the NFL. You're having assistants leave the college game and go to the NFL who never want to come back to the college game because they want of how vacation. Much recruiting, well, and how much recruiting takes away from their, from family, you know, it's, it's just a totally different beast. Yeah. You know, it's like you, you know, you can work in Dallas and to some extent it's a normal ish job that you can just, you go do your job and then you come home to your house and to your <laughs> <Right>. family every <laughs> your, year. Your work is done. Every, like yeah, throughout <laughs> the entire year. It's not oh crap, it's the third evaluation period of the year, so I'm gonna be on a plane for the next three weeks going to a bunch of high schools in the middle of nowhere hoping that this four star guy will give us a shake. Right. Give us a chance. <laughs> You know, and so, um, so maybe not the dead period. Maybe the dead periods need to be expanded. Uh, I just, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is just like a me thing, but it just seems silly that y- y- there should never be a situation where a recruit rules out a school because they didn't contact, they didn't find a way to contact him during the contact period, and they he forgot about that. You know, like there should never, like I feel like some of these rules. And I'll go back to that contact limit. How many times can you contact? Like it, it, I, it almost seems like a gateway violation, 
where it's like that's what gets you started. And you're like, well, that wasn't so bad. You know, we just self-reported, yada, yada. And, so, and then suddenly you have these coaches that are willingly breaking the rules and things. And so it's maybe – I don't know if that really – who that benefits to change some of those rules. But it is it, – it, it does make for funny stuff when people are doing all these sub-tweets or, or um, you know, referring to – Got a got a good one from the because I don't think they're allowed to use the word commitment. I I think in in their tweets and so and I don't think they're so like got a good one from the or good news from the two three one you know things right, like that. Right, so, right, right. It's funny. I think you you obviously studied the recruiting process more. Uh, there are some changes you want to make. What 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 stands out to you? I think the biggest one benefit for the kids. I think uh, I think to try to do away with the, the uncommittable offer as much as yeah. you possibly can. <laughs> Just, and that's, that's totally to the kid's benefit. Now it, it's, it's sticky, not sticky, but in some situations, the uncommittable offer, like it, with the way, the way the ground, the way the foundation is right now, it makes total sense to do it. I mean, that's, that's, with how things are built right now, I would be doing what those the schools that throw an offer to everybody are doing. It's basically turned into a like a tangible tangible evidence that we're interested in you, right? That's really what it. That's really what it. But doesn't mean and it doesn't promise anything. And spots are going to fill up, you know, and offers are going to become un, even written offers at some point are going to become uncommittable as scholarship you know, as classes fill up and stuff. But I think for the initial wave, you know, that I think if you're going to offer a guy, I think you eliminate the date as far as, you know, I believe it's like, I can't remember if it's, there's like a certain time where like the kids in the 2020 class now, like the, they have not even gotten their official scholarship offers yet. It's all verbal still, unless I'm like, completely misreading the calendar i want to say it's like well for basketball it's like june 15th right. a I can't year remember. Either before way, either way yeah. there's a there's a date where the income upcoming senior class is actually given written scholarships now, it is granted, soon. yeah yeah and and granted a lot of the guys that have what I, you know we would call the verbal scholarship aren't going to get that letter right which depends on a, a wide like for michigan right now they have what 20 well, we'll say they have 22 verbals. You know, a lot of guys at a lot of positions, they're not going to, they're not, they're going to be sending many out. Uh huh. Right. Because the class is getting close ish. You know, it's, it's already a pretty big class, you know, and so like, but I, I just, at that beginning, that early part of the process, like, and I'll be honest, you know, Michigan has partaken in this as much as anybody has, like, mm-hmm. eliminate the scholarship offer to the eighth grade quarterback type stuff. I just don't think it benefits anybody um well and in in a different vein you know i think one of the one of the things that makes me the most leery or weary of the recruiting process is i mean there have been times where players have committed and i've asked you about them and you've said yeah they i don't think it's gonna stick right and you know because because when you when you have these uncommittable offers but sometimes information Maybe the recruit wasn't under the impression it was an uncommittable offer, and I don't know. I think right. I'd be pretty annoyed, like if someone offered and said, "But don't you can't commit." I mean, I don't know. Do they, do they say you can't commit? Uh, I'm not sure. Or is it like all spoken in code? I think, I think there's some kind of agree, you know, like a mutual agreement with that type of stuff, right? Now, yeah, there have been instances where I think there's been a miscommunication. As far as you know, scholarship verb verbiage uh, that is taken as a then a kid commits publicly, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe they really shouldn't have shouldn't have or shouldn't have been able to type deal. I guess would be the best way to put it. But yeah, it's weird I mean, that that, happens- that you're getting offered a scholarship. Like, why even call it an offer? Why not call right. it a tender or something? You know, like an interest, a, a notion of interest. <laughs> well, a good, a, the best example as it pertains to Michigan would be the whole, like, during the satellite camp thing. I mean, there were three or four guys that they 
quote offered who committed almost instantaneously, mm-hmm. you know, or, uh, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, that, no, that pretty much continued and, and up until a couple cycles ago, but, you know, so I would make sure that it's a, a, when you offer somebody, it's a written, you know, it's an immediate, like a, a an offer that the school can back without scholar, you know, without the, again, like I said, there's, there's going to be limits at, to some extent, but I'm saying like no more of these schools offering like 400 prospects yeah. in a given class. You know, it's just because I think it just creates, it just creates too many problems for the kid, especially. Well, it it kind of sucks. Like I can sympathize where it's like, you know, dream school offers me, but says, whoa, hold your well, horses. Don't right. act right. on it. Like, <laughs> right. right. So how do you, so, I don't know. I don't know how you, yeah. I already know what you're going to ask. I don't really know what. No, 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 no. I'm actually going to look at the other side. So one thing I think needs to change, I, th- I think there has to be more opportunities to get out of a letter of intent. I think if your coach leaves or something else fair. sincere happens and, and I give Michigan basketball credit, they let Jalen Wilson go. I, I think it would have been a huge, they didn't, ha- they didn't have to, right? right. Like technically it would have right. been a real, real eyesore if they hadn't let him go, but they did. And so I think I think if your coach leaves, I would argue if your position coach leaves, I don't that is kind of a tricky precedent because I'm sure there are cases out deep, there. I don't know how deep I don't know how deep you go with that though. What if your primary recruiter yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can list one coach. Yeah, no, it's um feels like a little bit of a slippery slope. No, I, I, I hear you. So I think head coach for sure though. I think you should be let out of your NLI and, and, and then there's other extenuating circumstances. I mean I don't know, I with basketball it's like I mean, we can talk all day about how that process could change, so maybe we won't. But yeah, so to me, I think you should be let out of your NLI. I think there should be more clauses to get out of it. I also wonder, though, and and you have a better sense on this than I do, so I'll let you weigh in. How do you feel about the soft commitments? I know you hate silent commitments, but like the commitments that are, you know, they're. I feel like sometimes players commit, and even even you know, readers or people not involved in the family are like, eh. He's committed until someone else offers, and then he'll flip and, and switch there. I feel like it happens in basketball a lot. Um, I'm sure it happens in football a decent amount with schools like Alabama or Georgia. I mean, do you feel like a commitment, maybe if you open up some of the NLI clauses and you can get out of it, but do you feel like a commitment should come in writing and be a little bit harder or a little bit more concrete Um just yeah, so there's not no, all I, these decommits and all this shuffling that has to go on? Um, uh, yes and no. I think yes in the idea that if a kid, you know, it's like, yeah, you want to avoid the type of situation where a kid commits like in, well, let's say a kid commits in June and then Michigan goes seven and five and then this kid says, nope. I don't want to go here anymore because I don't, I don't know if they're going to be any good mm-hmm. or if the staff might not be the best one to prepare me. I think that, uh, you know, that's sort of the flip side of like the coach jetting for a better job or a bigger job or a whatever, more <laughs> yeah. money or whatever. You know what I mean? Yeah. So in that regard, I think I can, I can see it at the same time though. I don't, and this is where it kind of opens up a can of worms. I think it's just got to be handled differently when there is like money involved. As far as like, I think that the kids should have a little more leeway to kind of come and go as they please within the process as Mm -hmm. far as, and then like you said, like if a coach leaves that a kid should be able to get out of their letter of intent. Cause we know at the end of the day, I mean, a coach coaches are going to go. I mean, it's it's the way the world works. Somebody offers you double the salary, who wouldn't go? You know, you can't really fault the coach either. You know, when they when a coach decides that they're going to go, I mean, um, you know. So, on, but on the flip side, I think I think putting too many restrictions on them after they make a commitment, I think is just I think it'd be a little too much. I think 
the kid should have some leeway. Yeah, I agree. I, I think agree. I, I, I'm just I wonder. I try to say, is there like a middle guard, a middle of the road, um, you know, a way that yeah, maybe would push the like, and that's where I think maybe the contact periods would be important because I think the biggest reason why, and we just saw it. I think the biggest reason why you see so many verbal commitments made are because kids, like I have said this a thousand times, they get tired of the process because they're getting hit up all the time, whether it be by coaches, by media, by whoever. Do you think? You know, do you think that should change, like how much, how easily they're contacted? Because I, I don't know that having high schools, you know, have SIDs that teams and people have to run through is is the solution but I, I i always feel bad for the players who have to answer like 30 text messages or phone calls per day so for some people that's that's cool and and they love the the attention and the buzz that comes with it but i just think like because it's not just you know every school they have all their coaches they have four or five media publications trying to reach them it's and so if you're like considering five to seven schools it's like that's that's nonstop. Basically, you're on your phone, and that that prevents you from doing your best at school and doing your best on the field. You know, it's I've always wondered if that's something that could change, or or if there could be if there's a rule that could be put in place for that too. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I, I think I do. I think yeah. I think there needs to be some sort of limitation. I think more less more dead periods. I think would create a more, I guess the, at the flip side though, it would just create a more drawn out process, I suppose, which, but again, if there's more of more and more breaks in between for the kids and the coaches, I think the process may relax itself a little bit. Now the question and then would be, does that mean the media would relax? You know, cause I, I don't, like, Probably more, not. Dead period, <laughs> more dead periods doesn't mean that we aren't going to want, an update on top 150 the end, you know, in July, you know, because just because the coaches can't really, or they aren't able to contact the kids doesn't mean that, you know what I mean? Like that there's still not going to be that whole side of it, yeah. but you, but the NCA is never going to dictate their recruiting rules based on a recruits relationship with the media, because it's at the end of the day, it's still their choice to, partake in an interview or not or mm-hmm. partake in and some people don't are. some people don't do interviews or they oh, don't no, do very it's many gotten, it, it's way different than it, you, it, in the last like five or six years it's it's changed drastically because i think in a lot of markets there's an oversaturation of people that cover it now and so there's mm-hmm. you know like a kid's got 30 offers early on you know say you got a kid that gets like really hot on the trail and gets like 10 12 offers within like a couple weeks which happens every every evaluation period of every cycle, you have reporters multiple from every one of those 12 sites or 12 markets that are hitting you up for quotes and insight and stuff, you know? And uh, the kids, like a lot of kids are the same. When it first happens, they love it because it's new. It's some attention, which anybody, any of us in that would, would be in that position would be, attention would take that attention right i mean you'd be you're cool you know if you're getting reporters hitting you up and stuff you're like oh that's pretty sweet but then after a while and it's becoming more and more like it's becoming quicker and quicker that they're tuning out or shutting down you know it's because it's because it just it becomes constant you know and within markets all it takes is one reporter who's just bugging the hell out of you constantly to just make you not want to talk to say anybody from that market right <laughs> you know yeah. like no that's the truth though i mean it's, a, it's the truth so it's it's and interesting so, oh keep going you can't police, you can't police that though as far yeah. as like within the rules right like that, that and that's where yeah it'll always be kind of on the recruit you know and that's why i always remembered simple piece of simple thing and i know i've told this to kids in the past who have asked like for advice, like I always just Deshaun hand was always the smartest one about it. Cause he always said, it's my process. I'm going to be in control of it. You know, if I don't want to do an interview, I won't do an interview. If I want to do an interview, if I feel like doing an interview, I'll do an interview. And he kind of, he held true to that the entire, his entire process. Right. So, um, simple concept, but yeah, I mean it, it, yeah, it's, it's, 
that's changed in the last but you're seeing less and less kids who want to get on the phone and which for me whatever that's fine like i don't care it was just uh I, like i said i put you put yourself in their shoes right and yeah the media is probably as stressful if not more stressful than the the coaching staffs can be because it's you know think about where michigan's at right now with 22 verbals so like my first reaction after this whole thing got done was like crap i feel bad for like the seven or eight guys that they're really going to hone in on until <laughs> december because nobody's going to leave these guys alone for updates all the time you know and so um so yeah yeah no and 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 that's it's interesting because I say, well, there shouldn't be these dumb rules where they can't contact the players. But at the same time, I don't want the players to be contacted a ton. So my solution would be, if you're a recruit out there listening to minute 50 of the podcast, um, you know, have someone in your family or at your school be your PR person and say, if you want an interview, go through them. That would be if I were if I were the parent of a big time recruit, I would want to do something like that because it. Then you're not. Then you can focus on being your best you, because the media is still going to be interested, and the schools, if you're good, are still going to be interested. It's not like you not doing an interview is going to prevent you from being a big time recruit. And so it's that's what I would do. Maybe that, as you said, maybe it's just on the players to just handle it how they want to handle it. Um, so I think that the lesson in this segment was that. There are no easy fixes. Maybe maybe the NLI getting that a little different. Maybe defining what an offer means is a little different. But nothing, there's no clean clean fix to a system and that, you know, can get messy. I, I don't think it's this horribly flawed system, and it does change every year. But it can get a little messy, and there can be awkward situations. And I think if, you, if you're a big-time recruit, you probably know but there's all these different codes and like, like what does this mean? And what does it mean that they brought this person in for a visit? You know, it's lots of, lots of unwritten rules. Uh, it seems like in the recruiting world, but interesting question. We're not experts there. We're just kind of pining on our thoughts a little bit, but for Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Hopefully you enjoyed the Wolverine 24 seven podcast. Check out all of our stories at the michiganinsider.com and michigan.247sports.com. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something and we'll see you next week.